Hey, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Spotlight. This is the podcast that'll take you behind the scenes to talk with the unsung heroes who are out there working in the trenches of the music, theater, and TV worlds. There are vending machines for all kinds of stuff. Drinks, snacks, electronics. But why not concert merch? Well, Serena Larson saw an opportunity and co-founded a company to design, build, and deploy them. Let's kick it off. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Beyond the Spotlight. And this week we have joining us someone who has a background in festival production, event planning, tour merch management, and something really cool we're going to talk about in just a minute called Merch Roadie. Um, Please welcome to the show, Serena Larson. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. I want to get right away to Merch Roadie because I think that is a very cool thing, and I think the listeners will dig this. Uh, can you please explain what Merch Roadie is and how it came about? Yeah, of course. So um, Merch Roadie is, I mean, think of any road case that you've ever seen. Merch Roadie is a vending machine built inside of a road case. So um my co-founder and I, her name is Natalie, um, her and I started this company about six years ago. And initially, she had had the idea to put a vending machine in a road case while she was on a tour with um, with a band at like a theater level, and she was just pulled in a million directions. Her and I got together a few weeks later. She was like, do you want to start a company? I think we should try to pursue this idea. I was like, great. So fast forward to now, um, we have 10 machines, you know, we don't have an inventory the size of, you know, Claire PRD, (laughs) maybe someday, but, um, we have, we have 10 machines, two in Europe, eight here. And, um, we particularly work with artists. Um, not only artists, we work with conferences like star Wars festival or beauty con. Um, we also work in esports. Um, we work with our customers to, add merchandise sales to their operation in a way that makes sense. You know, if, if it's a smaller tour, then an artist might have a merch manager and they'll be responsible for being a merch roadie tech, which is a thing. There's only a few of us and a merch manager. Um, and then we'll kind of work with artists to make sure that they can use our gear to first and foremost, add some revenue to their tour. Nice. Okay. So in, and I suppose it's different with every case, but is this meant to kind of replace the typical merch person on a smaller tour or kind of supplement that or, or maybe be in places where they can't be or um, what's, what's the thinking there? Yeah, that's a really common question. So when we, when Nat and I first started the company, the thought was that the merch roadie was a solution for a band that can't afford a merch seller. Um, that was quickly disproven because there's no room to put the merch roadie. <laughs> <True. laughs> so they can't put it anywhere, um, which we didn't even think about that. But um, now it's more to, it's not to replace somebody. Looking back on, in my experience working with festivals, when I was working in festivals in charge of um, food curation, it was very important where my high volume booths were placed. And what I looked at was how quickly can this vendor dish out thousands of chicken tenders, thousands of burritos. And 
if we look at merch, the cousin of food and beverage, I say, and to answer your question, the, we are by no means trying to replace people because then we would have to believe the argument that machines could replace the volume, which is the key metric that a high volume 10 foot, 10 foot booth can produce. So therefore the merch roadies are great to add 10 or 20% and increase the wage of the merch seller to be a technician, but also add meaningful revenue for the artist. So no, it's, it's, it's merely a tool to augment that's in touring. And I guess my last note on that is when we work with customers in esports and the comic cons and things like that, mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. It doesn't replace people, but it just adds the, the merch roadies allow those types of customers to add, to justify hiring on a person specifically responsible for those machines because of how much volume they pump out in those scenarios. But, um, yeah, that answers the question. Yeah. Well, and I would think too, in, in large situations like festivals, let's say, you know, um, you know, Lollapalooza or, uh, whatever that you've got a, a huge number of people there coming and going. They're not there necessarily for a specific band. Um, and this is a way to kind of augment that, uh, make available, uh, merch for people so that if they're just kind of cruising around during the day, they can see one of these and go, Oh, you know, and it may spark some kind of impulse buy that they may not, you know, if, if they can walk up to a machine, stick their credit card in, get something fairly quickly, I would assume that would probably be more, uh, preferable than standing in a line in the hot sun for, you know, 15 minutes, maybe to get to a table to buy a t-shirt, um, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it just, you know, as you said, it offers another avenue for people to, to make those purchases that they might've purchased anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what were some of the challenges not to get too deep into the technical part of it, but, you know, obviously building something that's somewhat automated to, you know, take the human interaction out of the equation, you know, you've got to make it as foolproof as possible, obviously, to withstand, you know, being jammed into a semi and lugged around the country and offloaded by stagehands somewhere that, you know, don't care what's in the the case. They just want to get it off the truck. So uh, what kind of special things did you have to look at in terms of just building these things or or designing how they worked? Yeah. So, I'll start this with that neither Nat, the co-founder, or myself are engineers at all. Um, <laughs> Great <laughs> so, place to start. <laughs> yeah, so we'll start there. Um, but some of the things that we had to consider from an entrepreneurial standpoint, unless you have an obscene amount of capital to play with, the only, looking back, what we had to do was just get our first prototype built and let it break. And we had to, to build the machine. We first thought, oh, we'll just put a machine in a road case. Can't do that because how do we, we have, you know, if you buy machines from a certain supplier, there is quantity requirements. Um, then we had to consider, okay, how do we build this so that we can delegate this eventually, but still have it within a, you know, a reasonable cost. So building the supply chain and negotiating with suppliers and considering things like design patents and utility patents and, um, you know, things like that, that would position our company to be valuable for an exit someday. Um, 
in the eyes of specific investors, we had to really consider cost for our parts. Most importantly, can our suppliers get us spare parts immediately and understand that we can't wait until Monday? Right, right. (laughs) We need something right now, (laughs) Um, which is a challenge because vending machine operators don't touch concerts. And if they do, it's hands off. So, um, we had to consider cost. We had to consider the cost if something breaks and the durability. Um, and then the most important part I would say is the training process of merchandise technicians and training those folks to train them how to work with the production manager, the stage manager on the tour so that they can build a report and be like, look, I know you're picking up merch, but this needs to go on at this time this cannot be facing this way and Mm. so on and so forth. So we had to consider a lot of things, but I guess one final note I'll add there is Nat and I didn't really understand how important this was until we had a show in Hollywood once I was a technician for that show. I showed up, I get a phone call that the machine fell onto vine Avenue (sighs) and I opened up the machine. This was, I wasn't told this until I was opening the machine. I get inside the venue, I open it, and every single piece is everywhere. (laughs) And this was when we only had one machine. Nat and I were working two or three jobs. We weren't sleeping. It was like two (laughs) years in. It was the worst. And um, I get there, and I'm just thinking, oh, my God. But our biggest show that we had ever had, which looking back, it wasn't big. But for us, it was. Um, was four days later and her and I looked at each other and we called the guys at mates in LA. We're like, we need space to just rip this thing apart and figure it out. Her and I figured out how to rebuild that machine 80% on our own in four days. And up until the truck came to pick up the machine to go back to the venue, we were literally zip tying our last piece and we realized, holy shit. This is, we have to think about this. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this could be an issue. <laughs> this could be, and we realized this can't be like this. This definitely can't go here anymore. Yeah. And so um, I have a lot of respect for really well-designed gear and knowing how durable gear can be if it's built properly. Yeah. Well, and that's something most people don't think about. It's it's the saying I always use, you know, for film directors or sound people or people who build and design products. If you do your job right, nobody notices. If it's only when things fail that you start to say, oh, you know, here's a problem. Um, And you can't always know what those things are that are going to fail until they do fail. And so, you know, obviously that was a classic case for you to be able to see everything probably that failed all at once and and kind of get that out of the way and at least figure that out. But, uh, yeah, any, any kind of product design is a, is an ongoing process. You're, you're continually revising things and rebuilding things and, and altering to make it, you know, better and stronger and faster. So, um, it's a learning process now. Obviously, you know, we're in the thick of COVID uh, pandemic here. How has that impacted things? Obviously, you know, we're not seeing concerts and festivals and things like we would normally see during a summer and fall uh, in, in 2020. What 
is there kind of a silver lining here? Like, can these be placed in places where, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an event going on that people can still purchase things and, and revenue still can be generated? Or how, how does that impact you this year? Well, to answer your question, theoretically, it could be better. But, <laughs> but... <laughs> So COVID-19, like most businesses in live entertainment, have been severely impacted. We are still, I mean, I was the only full-time person, and we had contractors that we'd work with on tours. So from a people standpoint, the most important point, we didn't have to face laying people off. I mean, I'm the owner of the company, one of the co-founders. I'm used to grinding when needed. So um, there's that. Um. COVID has impacted us because initially back in March, you know, there's, I think three parts of this answer, our initial response, where we're at now in November, December, um, and what's ahead. So in March, we thought like most other people, okay, shows are going to come back. We just need to hunker down. We'll be fine. Um, and the other assumption was that vending machines might be favorable as opposed to a booth where when you're running a booth, you have to open the box, you have to count and breathe on every piece. You put it back in the box. Like it's just infinite possibilities to spread things. So we thought that vending machines, although they're not a high volume replacement, we thought that if shows would only sell one or two SKUs unsized, it could be a decent replacement. One thing we didn't think about was that vending machines require people to gather. And theoretically, it's still more favorable than having a person at the booth. Fast forward to now, um, shows have been using send merch to your location, to your spot, or send merch home. And the sales, from what I've heard, have still been drastically lower. That and also back in the days when I worked in festival food and uh, festival production on the food side, my job was to procure health permits. It was my job to apply for it. And it was my job to walk through with the health department coordinator, whichever County we were in to say, okay, this is show ready. No, we can't open doors until this propane tank and this propane tank moves. No ifs, ands, or buts. Knowing that and knowing that health departments have policies, but it also depends on who the inspector is. Merch roadies don't fit into that model because you know, what if a right now they don't, Because, you know, there's so much risk. And so we're kind of hunkering down and waiting for to see if customers are comfortable using them. Definitely don't want to, you know, push that as an option at this time. Yeah. Yeah. All the rules have really changed. Um, And, you know, we're what? nine months into this almost. And I still catch myself getting out of my vehicle occasionally when I have to go somewhere and not having a mask in my hand. And, uh, you know, it's like, your your brain still is not adjusted to this and uh yeah. it's it's difficult so yeah everything has to be reexamined and kind of rethought so yeah. uh hopefully it, at least now it sounds like we're although we're in a a large surge right now it sounds like with the, the approach of a couple of vaccines that you know things can maybe start to move in the right direction uh yeah. first quarter second quarter of 2021 so uh, let's cross our fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, we've talked about Merch Roadie and, and how that works and how that came to be. How did you get 
to that point, like, did you grow up uh, being a fan of music? Were you a musician? Like, how do, how was your attraction to that kind of part of things and touring uh, kind of come to be? Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm from Sacramento, um, born and raised in Sacramento, and most of my life in a suburb of Sacramento called Folsom. Um, so I come from a working class background. My parents, um, my dad, his, his mom is English. His dad is American. My mom's dad is Mexican. Her mom is American. Um, and my dad, I would say my initial interest in music and just amazement with music started when I was probably, you know, I don't know, seven years old. My dad has like thousands of records and he would be in his garage and his man cave. He's a Rams fan. There were Rams stuff everywhere and football jerseys. Anyway. So I would go in there and he'd be like, okay, this is Led Zeppelin. Okay. This is, um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And he would just, I mean, I have most of his records behind me that the listeners can't see. That's how I was initially drawn into music. Um, fast forward to, I mean, I'm 32 now. So, um, I went to community colleges, working at, you know, grocery stores, doctor's offices to pay the bills, go to school, um, to finish my undergrad in business. I went to, I transferred to an American school in Thailand and Mm. finished my studies there, um, strictly because it was a lot cheaper. (laughs) It was going to take so long to finish school working full time. I was like, I can go do this. Right. Let's do that. (laughs) So I did that. And then that really changed my life a lot, a lot. Um, and I still wanted to work in the music industry. I could feel it at that time. Um, then I went to study my master's at our sister campus in the Netherlands, um, worked in corporate in the corporate world for a while in public health care, hated it. Um, I was good at what I was doing. I was working with senior level executives and supporting them. I was good at it, but I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to work in like random odd jobs to pay the bills, like ticket taking and merch and random things here and there. Um, my co-founder Nat and I worked together on a charity project, um, that was music related in Brazil. And then her and I started merch roadie, but until a few years ago, I mean, she still tours, she's exited the company and she tours, um, while we were growing the company and still now we've always had other jobs working in festivals, touring, all these things. So, um, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell that in which I, how I arrived to the music industry and just kind of fell into it. And I think, um, on the entrepreneurial standpoint, I've always liked to, like when I was a kid, I organized like lemonade stands on my block or (laughs) like I've always been intrigued in organizing and, um, and music. So here I am. (laughs) Yeah. What a, what a great match. I mean, you know, it, it's one of the common themes I'm hearing over and over with guests that I talk to is, you know, they always kind of come back to their inner passion Sometimes it's not even something they know is there or, or exactly what that is, but things just lead them back to something that they you know are really passionate about, and that just seems like the natural fit for them, and that's kind of how they end up. Uh, and when you can combine a couple of those you know disciplines, if you will, um, 
that's even better, you know, music and, and organizing in your case and an entrepreneurial, you know, spirit, um, uh, you know, that's the perfect recipe. So uh, it sounds like a great concept with Merch Roadie. I'm really, you know, anxious to see how that goes um, when things get back to normal. I think, you know, I, I'm all about technology being used in a good way when it makes sense. And this sounds exactly, you know, like it's a great, a great application for that. So going back to, you, you know, young, young Sabrina, you're, let's say 15 years old, 14, whatever. What kind of advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? Uh, what piece of advice would you, would you want to give to just help your, your younger self through navigate through life? Uh, anything that sticks out? Yeah, I would say um, the advice I would give myself is to really, in, in the terms of starting businesses, the advice I would give myself is to always expect when starting a business that no matter what, if there's no capital involved, there, it will always be extremely difficult, more, more likely than not. Um, but to give the advice I would give my younger self is, um, I, I would say, you know, Serena, it's okay that it's great that you want to be in business and build businesses, but also remember that the, I, the concept and the idea of, you know, like women say this a lot, like being a boss, you know, a boss babe or a boss something or like, or, um, you know, business is business and, you know, oh, you know, be as successful as possible. What I would advise myself then is that's like 1% of the whole pie. And actually it's the least important part of everything because none of that holds the pieces of what you're building together. Um, and I would give myself that advice to focus more on the people I'm working with and really invest time in knowing, do I want to work with these people? Like, can I and really invest time in that um, as opposed to, treating things like anything could be built as long as it's business. Does that make sense? Right. Like I yeah, would just, yeah. I would tell myself to look into it a little bit more before I get in with people. <laughs> yeah. The chemistry yeah. and the relationship is, is important, especially in a small startup kind of thing. You know, you've got to work well with other people. And, you know, a lot of times there are things about people that you don't really see until you get into those situations where, you know, it may, it may bring up, uh, things to the surface that are not as pretty as you would like. And so, yeah. uh, you know, those, those things are tough and it's, it's a special kind of a, a relationship to be in business with someone else. Um, and until you've done it, it's not something most people don't really understand. Um, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, there are certainly lots of benefits to being your own boss, but what a lot of people don't realize is all the downsides to, <laughs> That and I can attest to that as as kind of being uh, my own business owner for thirty five, almost forty years now. Um, you yeah. know, and skipping vacations and not doing this and not paying yourself for weeks when you have to because you know uh, you pay yeah. other things that need to get paid. So um, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a challenge, uh, but you know, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head if you investigate those things. Uh, early on and do your due diligence and homework, you can, um, you know, you can be at least a little more uh, successful in that adventure. Yeah. 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 Any uh, social media or web 
sites that people can check out to f- check out more about uh, Merch Roadie and, and what you're up to? Yeah. So you can just go to our website, MerchRoadie.com. Um, and if anybody you know wants to contact me, you can just email me, Serena at MerchRoadie.com, S-A-R-I-N-A. Um, okay. And that's it, really. We keep it simple. Okay. Any Instagram or anything? We have Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Merch Roadie. It's at Merch Roadie. And okay, perfect. Yeah. That's All right. Really. I'll put those links in the show notes for people so they can uh, find those easier and check out what's up with that. So thanks so much uh, for joining us today, Serena. It's It's been interesting to hear about your, your you know, your path to this uh, company and this product. And, uh, you know, I think it's really a cool, innovative kind of thing. I mean, it's it's something, as I said earlier, it's not anything I was aware of until... Uh, you know, I started doing some research on you and, and your background, and uh, I think this is something we'll be seeing more and more of as, as time goes forward, you know, this, this type of implementation. And best of luck to you and you. the company. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And thanks to everyone else for uh, listening in today on another episode of Beyond the Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Spotlight. If you like what you heard, please share the show with your friends. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at beyondthespotlightpodcast at gmail.com. And however you download or stream this, hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. I'm John Diener, and this has been Beyond the Spotlight.